0: Thanks for downloading the South Everett Foursquare podcast. This is Pastor Chris Pepler, and you've joined us for our core value series, The Story of Us. You can find us every Sunday morning at the Village on Casino Road at 1030 a.m. Enjoy today's podcast. For the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about the things that matter the most to us. Our values are the things that reside most deeply at our core, and that's why they're called core values. It They are the internal compass, the true north that helps us make decisions, good decisions or bad decisions, but to take some time and assess what is most important to us, what are our values, what resides at our core as a congregation, helps us understand why it is that we do the things that we do, and why it is we don't do the things that we don't do. So understanding our core values is critically important. Not only is it important as a church, it's important as individuals to understand what's at our core This is, I think, January. Sorry, February third, two thousand and fifteen. gosh, there's so little. This was the day that the Seattle Seahawks were going to beat Tom Brady and the New England Patriots to win their second consecutive Super Bowl. See, that's what was going down that day. This is out front of Eastside Four Square Church's campus. Those are my kids when they were much, much littler. And we are just really, really excited about our Seahawks. And so we went and we watched the game at our friend's house in Edmonds with our kids and their kids. And at halftime, we were up by 10 points in that game. Somebody, don't you remember, we're up on Tom Brady and the Patriots by 10 points, which, you know, time tells us that meant nothing. Uh, But in that moment, even towards the end of the game, Russell Wilson dropped back through this long pass, like one of those moonshot passes that he threw to a receiver from the University of Washington Go Huskies, then Jermaine Curse. we don't remember this play because the play that happened next was so awful we just forgot all of it, but Jermaine Curse fell on the ground, yeah, kicked the ball up in the air, hit his knee, went off his foot, and then he caught it at like the six-yard line. You remember this? Yeah. Does anyone remember this? So we're bouncing up and down, and we're so excited, and Caleb says, because they, I didn't want him go to the parade the year before, because it was so cold out, and they were so little, but he said, Dad, can we go downtown and celebrate with the city tonight when we win the Super Bowl? I said, you bet we can, and so we started lacing up our shoes and putting on our coats and getting ready to go, because it is second and one at the goal line, and we got beast mode in the backfield, right? This thing is over. We're going to beat the Patriots. And instead of taking the ball and handing it to beast mode to bust through the line, what does Russell Wilson do? He throws throws the pass to Ricardo Lockett, who just totally, like, gimps out and lets the ball get intercepted by Butler, and we lose. And it's over. (laughs) And Caleb, with that hat on, he goes over to my... I didn't ask permission to tell this story, but... I know that's a core value violation for you telling stories about your kids from the front, but yeah, yeah. He PK. But he just went over and he put his head against the refrigerator Oh, buddy. with his little head on. He was like seven. <laughs> and he comes back and he goes, Dad, I've never been more disappointed in my entire life. <laughs> and I'm like, me neither. And we're just. So there was a value and the value based on the belief about a circumstance was impacting our behavior. There was a value, and there was a belief about a circumstance that was dictating our behavior. The value at the deepest core for me was community celebration. It was being able to go into a city like Seattle that's so divided about so many things, it just breaks my soul when I think about how divided we are. But in that moment, even if it's superficial, it's really not because there's a thing to get around to celebrate where you can actually go and build connection with people. And it's not about politics or it's not about race or religion. It's just about being together. And what I love about our teams doing so well more than anything else is it creates open space for conversation with people and allows us to find a place of commonality, even as a starting point. As someone who cares about seeing Jesus, his name exalted in the city, I'll look for any opportunity to get into relationships with someone that I can. If it has to be a football game or a football team, I'll do it. Because it's a great place to start a real relationship about something we can agree upon, which isn't always very much. Yeah. I think that's why God likes sports. He talks about them in the Bible. Races and running and competition and unity. That's a teamwork. The body works together. It's in there. It's in there. For real, it's in there. And it gives us opportunity to step into those things. So in that moment, based on the value of community celebration in the city, and a set of circumstances, which is we're about to win the football game, it's dictating my behavior. I'm lacing up my shoes. I'm putting on my coat. I got my hat on because I'm going into the city to celebrate. And then the circumstance changed. And then the belief changed. And my mood changed. Do you know what did not change? The value. The value stayed the same, which is, I value community celebration. I value getting together with people and finding something to unite around and have fun. And that that wasn't happening. And we unlaced our shoes and took off our coats, and that was the last play we've had in the Super Bowl since. But it's okay, because the Mariners and the Kraken are on now, right? So it's all right. Values matter, and they dictate our behavior whether we know it or not. When we're behaving certain ways or not behaving certain ways or make decisions or don't make decisions, they're based on values. And until we determine and understand and have clarity about what our value is, we can't actually make decisions about what we are supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do in a way that's in alignment with the way that Jesus made us. Amen? Amen. So coming out of this series on spiritual gifts and talking about who it is that we are, as we have been doing, my call as a leader is to build uncommon relationships for unimaginable outcomes with God and people in cities. That's the call on my life, which means creating unified spaces with people who aren't usually unified to see really cool things happen. That's what my life is about. And because I know my life is about that, I I commit time looking for situations like that because I've seen it happen before and I'll see it happen again. And it's about unity for me. That's what it's about. Which is why we're coming back to Ephesians 4 again. I wrestle with this. I wrestle with the thought that we're going to read the first part of Ephesians chapter 4. We've read it twice in September, three times in January, and we're about to read it five more weeks in a row. Because I've read over that passage of scripture so many times and missed so much of it. It won't be the only place that we are in scripture, but I want us to hear it. I want our eyes to see it. Because Ephesians chapter 4 is the core of the manifesto about how the church gets along in love. And how the gifts are distributed to the church. Amen? So we're going to look at that and then we're going to talk about our core values. Based on these things and how they align with the five-fold ministry of the church. All of this is coming together over time. We're building something. As we've talked about apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. We've also talked about the priorities of our church, which we shared last week. And now we're talking about the values that define the priorities. When we ask why and answer a question, we're answering with value statements. Why Ephesians 4? Because... We want our core beliefs, core values, and core behaviors to align with the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why. We believe certain things and then we value certain things. And our core behaviors grow up out of our core values. Beliefs, values, behaviors. This is the process of understanding discipleship making. Why is it that we do what we do? So core beliefs move towards core values which move to core behaviors. We have some core beliefs. We have some unifying beliefs as the body of Christ, not just foursquare, but anyone who would call on the name of Jesus. I want to put this up here because we've talked a little bit about what Amy Simple said and what others said before her, that in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials of faith, charity, and in all things, love. In the essential things of the gospel, we have to be unified. But these are the core beliefs about being a follower of Jesus that are non-negotiable. Jesus Christ is the true and eternal Son of God. He came to us in the flesh, was crucified for the forgiveness of our sins and the sins of all people. Jesus died and was resurrected, ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father. He alone offers the only means of salvation to all people upon the confession of our sin and the confession of His Lordship. The same power that raised Christ from the grave lives in us today through the presence of the Holy Spirit. If we can get along on that, we'll work the other stuff out. Okay? We have a belief system, a driving belief system, that impacts the things that we value, that impacts the things that we do. (coughs) South Everett Foursquare has five core values. We'll put them up. We're going to talk about one today. We're going to talk about one next week. Then Lauren and Danessa are going to talk about Two core values the weeks after that, while Katrina and I are in Israel, and then we'll come back and talk about the last one at the beginning of March. We value sacred relationships. We value courageous belief. We devalue what we've been calling diversity of people, which we're going to talk about today. We're changing the name of that to diverse unity, and I'll tell you why when we get into that. We value our neighborhood and our city. We value signs and wonders. These are the things that we value and look. What's really interesting is how they began to align to the five-fold ministry of the church. Some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be shepherds, some to be teachers. I got together with the leadership team in 2019 and we started working out the values of South Everett, but not as we wanted them to be, as we saw them already existing. This church was planted by Pastor Dave Miller in 1995 It was then pastored by Joseph Phelan and was then pastored by Josh Ferguson and then was pastored by Don Cain, then was pastored by Ben Ramos, and then our family came here. The beautiful story, and see, here's John. There's a value of relationship because he's grinning like like a, you're just grinning, like why? Because you know all those people. You have a sacred relationship with them. The reason why John can smile wide about it, is that there has never been a relational break amongst the pastors who have pastored this church. Now, we haven't all even met each other. But all the stories of transition for the history of this church for 28 years have been healthy transitions, praise God. So we didn't come together and come up with values. We came together to identify what already existed, and those were the words that came out. Those were the things that we saw about what this was. But naming it sometimes can help us. This keeps us on mission, more and growing leaders together on mission. This is what keeps us together. And so then, when I started looking more completely at Ephesians chapter 4 and seeing these gifts, I just thought, because I think this way and I enjoy it, I'm like, I wonder how our core values map to the fivefold ministry of the church. And I was like, oh, it kind of does. Thank you, Jesus, for being smarter than we were. We weren't even trying to come up with that. But what it gave me comfort was to know is that the things that we value encompass the full life of the church as jesus intended it and we got to stay on it because it's easy to fall off it amen we've got to remember our core values we're going to read here from ephesians chapter 4 again prisoner for the lord then i urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received paul says to the church be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. This was uh, interesting that seven times here in one sentence, Paul speaks to the oneness around the distribution of the gifts. And that's because, as Jay said last week, Ephesus was this religiously pluralistic hotbed. You could worship any god or goddess under the sun. Like, it was just for the taking. And in fact, if you went to work, imagine that Microsoft or Boeing or Amazon existed in the city of Ephesus. Well, if they did, each one of them would have had a little G-god that you would have had to give a pinch of incense to once a year to keep your job. If you worked at Edmunds College. There'd be a God of Edmonds College. There'd be a God of Children's Hospital. There'd be a God of FedEx. There'd be a God of Seattle Light. And to keep your job, you would have to give a pinch of incense to it because that's how the gods and goddesses of that culture worked. Whoa. Paul stood up against it. Believers stood up against it. It cost them greatly. But as they communicated about the gifts, They needed to know, the people following Jesus needed to know that the gifts were not God's unto themselves. They were expressions of the Father who gives good gifts. Seek the giver, not the gifts. Amen? So he's communicating this oneness. It goes on in verse 7. It says, But to each of us, grace has been apportioned as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, and this is from Psalm 68, When he ascended on high, he took many captives, And gave gifts to his people. This is a a two-sided coin that we see in the Old Testament in Psalm 68. God coming like a warrior and plundering and taking a space. And defeating nations. And then Paul comes along and says, well, it's a little bit like Jesus. Because Jesus came in not to defeat nations, but to defeat sin and take a place in our heart. And so when a conquering king would come, he would plunder the land and take What was from the land and then redistributed to others, right? Coming back to take what the enemy has stolen from us and distributing gifts like a conquering king. This is the work of Jesus in Ephesians chapter four. That's why it says when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Verse 9, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? This is Philippians 4. Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the nature of a servant. Being found in human likeness, humbling himself and becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Same Jesus, different books. He came down. He came down in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself... Gave the apostles, this is the plunder, this is the riches, this is everything coming back to his church for unity in the body. So Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. To what? What? Why? What? What did he do? To equip people for good works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ might be built up until when? Until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Once that happens someday, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here or there by every wind and teaching in the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Can I suggest this, that where we are as the body of Christ right now, as a whole, looks a lot like the mess that the church found themselves in in Ephesus. When I think about The church no longer being tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and CNN and Fox. Because aren't we all just blown around by the things that are crafty and cunning in the world? That once we're no longer blown around by those crafty schemes, that we can take on the full measure of Christ. I read this and I'm like, oh Jesus, we need you. It humbles me. I'm not discouraged, but it humbles me to realize where we are as a body not just this body but the full measure of Christ we need humility we need unity verse 15 instead speaking the truth and love we will grow let us be a prophetic word over our region our nation our world instead speaking the truth and love we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ from him the whole body joined together by every morning supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work my prayer in this series in this season in this year is that ephesians 4 that we would just grasp it it's not the message of the gospel the message of the gospel is that jesus said is free regardless of how good we do But then he said, I want you to have a functioning body so others can know the goodness as well. So that's what we strive for, not in our own strength, but in his. But Ephesians chapter four, that it would come alive for us this year in ways that we just see it all across our gathering and in our cities and in our workplaces. This is how this breaks down. Christ's likeness is the pathway towards unity. Unity is the path towards greater expressions of diversity in the body of Christ. And the unified and diverse body of Christ is God's hope for our world. That's the why. Why is unity and diversity so important? Because diverse unity is courageous and it's intentional in its pursuit. It's an apostolic pursuit. Not to say that diverse unity is the only apostolic pursuit that there is. But when I think about what God is calling us to be as a congregation that models diversity really, really well, and unity really, really well, that's something like an apostle we have to go after. That's not just going to show up wrapped with a red bow on your doorstep one morning while you're drinking coffee. Unity is hard to pursue. Does anyone have a garden that's going to look amazing in June if you don't go out there between now and then? Anybody? If you do, let me know, because I want that garden going to re- require pursuit and intentionality and presence, and it's going to cost something. That's like unity in the body of Christ. is like a garden that needs to be tended to on a regular basis. To be apostolic is to pursue new, innovative, and missionally minded works. New and innovative, unity in the body, missionally minded. Yes, we pursue these things. It often involves crossing Boundaries and borders, intellectual, social, and cultural, to discover the fullness of Christ. We have to step out of our own comfort zone and into new places so that we might experience unity and diversity together as one. We're reclaiming these words from culture who have train wrecked words like diversity to create less unity. So we have to reclaim it, but we can't stop talking about things like diversity, equity, and inclusion, but wrap them in the heart of the gospel and then use the language in community because that's the language our community speaks. These things can be reclaimed because they are words that Christ put together for us. We cross borders to see the fullness of Christ, not just as we see him, but as he is. So I can see Jesus... But someone else sees another perspective of Jesus from a different culture, from a different language, from a different tribe. And we come together and say, how do you see him? Because as you share the way that you see him, I see him more fully. And we all bring something to the table. Amen? This is a great quote. I couldn't find who said it, but I remember hearing it. It goes like this. It goes with this picture. As you proclaim the gospel amidst the nations, don't bring the gospel as a potted plant. Instead, bring the seeds of the gospel and plant them in soils of the nation. That means there's one way that I can take the gospel somewhere. It's one expression. It's what I know. It's what I understand. But if instead taking it as a potted plant saying this cannot change, I bring the seeds of the gospel. So different expressions come up. What does that look like? It just means different parables. Like the reason why Jesus spoke about sheep and shepherds and wheat like he did was because he was from the Middle East. That's why he did But if Jesus were in the Pacific Islands, I bet there would have been different parables proclaiming the same exact truths. So this is it. This is our statement about our value. Diverse unity. We seek the development of a unified and diverse congregation reflecting the unity of Christ and the diversity of our community. We're influenced and informed by a multitude of by ages, ethnicity, socioeconomic, educational, political, and experiential backgrounds. We are people who collectively understand that our greatest common denominator to be a spiritual poverty remedied only by the saving grace of Jesus. That's what keeps us together, is we have to be able to come together and realize that we're in different spaces on a lot of things. But ultimately, it's our shared identity as people who are desperately in need of communion that keeps us together. Everything else seems to work out when we put Christ at the center. Because we're pursuing unity, not diversity. This is what I've learned this year. I've thought a lot about it. It's why we changed the value from diversity of people to diversified unity. Because if we pursue diversity, we don't often end up with unity. Has anyone ever been to a class on diversity and walked out of it feeling less unified than when they went into it? That's because we're not pursuing unity. We're pursuing diversity. We're focusing on our differences, not our similarities. Last year, it was brought to my attention that justice, acts of justice, will not always lead to righteousness. We've seen that in our streets at times as well. But the pursuit of righteousness will always lead to justice. Learn that from Harvey Drake, in the South End, Pastor Emerald City Bible City, Emerald City Bible Fellowship in the inner city for thirty plus years. He's seen a lot of this, and he cares about equity. He cares as a six foot four. 300 pound black man being able to go into stores and not be tailed by the clerks. That's a real thing for him, but Jesus is more real than that. He says, as we pursue righteousness, justice will follow. And the same thing is true about diversity and unity. Somebody said it to me when I was in Dallas in September. They said, we gotta quit pursuing diversity. And I was really like, get up and like fight. (laughs) He goes, pursue unity correctly and diversity will be the outcome. Unity is not the same as uniformity. We confuse them sometimes and stop too soon. Oh, we're unified. Well, y'all look the same. You're all the same. You're in the same tax bracket. You're the same political persuasion. Y'all watch CNN or y'all watch Fox or whatever. So you're uniform, which no doubt there's no fighting because you all agree. And your favorite thing is just pick on the other guy. They disagrees. So that's what we do. It's what the culture wants to make us do. And Ephesians 4 says something different. It says pursue unity. Because it was the focal point of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's what he prayed about. Do you notice that? His final prayer was about unity. Do you know who he prayed his final prayer about? Because there was prayers for current believers. And then there was these prayers for future believers. And he was praying for future believers when he said, May they be one as you and I are one. Might they understand what it means to come together and be unified? Because when they are unified, this is such an important passage of scripture. My prayer for them is not for them alone. Jesus says to his fathers in the garden of said to his father in the garden of Gethsemane, "I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and me." you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as you and I are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity then. So here's the why. Here's the value. Why is unity so important? It says here in verse 23, then the world will know that you have sent me And have loved them even as I have loved you. That's why this is so important. Because the world will know that the Son was sent by the Father. And that the Father loved the world. When the church is finally unified. The implications of being unified are tremendous. Because isn't it the end game for every follower of Jesus to see more people come to Jesus? Do you know what pride does in my heart? It makes me want South Everett Foursquare to be the biggest, baddest church on the block. So that we can be the biggest, baddest church on the block and I can feel good about myself and puff myself up. And more people will come to us and we'll just pull people over here and we'll grab people from over here based on political persuasions and politics and socioeconomic realities. That's not unity. That's uniformity. Unity is hard to pursue. But Jesus calls us to pursue it. Because the call for all of us is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching people to obey what Jesus has said. Right? So I thought about this. This was new for me last night when I was thinking about this. Sometimes we value growing our size of our gatherings more than being united together in love. Sometimes we value the size of our gatherings more than we value being united together in love. Because love requires us to put ourselves down. It requires us to put our names down. It requires us to put Him first. Amen? It's not just hard for the church. It's hard for everybody. That's why. Because the whole world is ununified. <laughs> if the church could somehow, by the power of the Spirit, figure unity out, the whole world would look and say, excuse me, what? There must be a God in heaven. That's what Jesus says in this prayer. It's exactly what He says in this prayer. This I've been looking at for like 15 years. The world hasn't figured out unity yet, and Jesus knows that when the church does, that will be the greatest tool of evangelism that there is. That we would work harder on getting along than we would at getting more people to come in here. (laughs) Because if we get along well, people will naturally show up. But that's not, it's not to get them to come. It's to be unified. That's the attractive nature. It's not the signs of the website, praise God. Right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> For real? It's hard. Unity's hard. And so we need this grace. I was having tacos with Mark on Wednesday. Good tacos in Linwood. Filbert Philbert 196. And he was telling me about some revelation the Lord had given him about the two different gardens. There's so much about the New Testament and the Old Testament. that kind of mirror each other if you pay really close attention. And Mark was like, hey, did you know about the two gardens? I was like, tell me about it. He goes, well, in the Garden of Eden... The message was from Adam and Eve, my will be done, right? My will be done. How did that end? Not well. Not well. Thank you, Justin. <laughs> my will be done did not end well in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7. Did not end well. But the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus, who the Bible calls the new Adam, prayed a different prayer. We got, Your will be done. Oh my goodness. Unity is not about my will, it's about his will. Oh, just take a breath. Isn't that nice that God will work it out if we're just kind to each other and humble each other? Humble one of our, not humble each other, humble ourselves, (laughs) because we're always trying to humble each other. (laughs) The purpose of unity, the value, remember we're talking about values, the deep value of unity is fulfilled in John 17. 20 through 23. Because as they are unified, the world will know that, Father, I was sent by you and that you love the world. That's, that's it. That's the whole thing. We just want people to know that Jesus loves them. It's the most important thing. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's it. That's the whole message. Boil it down. That's the value of unity. So that the world will know the love of Jesus. That's it. That's the purpose fulfilled. There was a plan to fulfill this, too. This is the New Testament and the Old Testament mirroring each other again. You guys remember Genesis 11 and the story of Babel? What was going on there? We're all trying to build a thing. All building Legos <laughs> out in the desert. Yeah, Justin? Some more, their, some more of their will be done. I want to get this tower so high so that I can get a name for myself. <sighs> I'm so guilty of that all the time. Mostly on social media. That's why I'm taking a break right now. Because that's like my little tower of Babel. I just want to tell good stories about myself so I feel good about me. Anyone else? Please tell me I'm not the only one who does that. Get those little dopamine hits off the red likes. Come on. This is all modern day Tower of Babel stuff. It just is. We don't beat ourselves over the head of it. We We just look at it to say, the Tower of Babel will build me up. And so God had to confuse the language of the people so they'd be babbling with each other. Right? The language was mixed up so that they would be humbled he had it's so much better to humble ourselves than let God humble us for in that the hard way i'm sure you have as well but then at the outpouring of the holy spirit at pentecost what happens their languages were confused and then what May everyone heard somebody else speaking in their own tongue in their own tongue diversity matters multiple languages matter the way that we hear things, even the way that we interpret Scripture through our understanding and Western mindset interrupts the full meaning of the message. But the plan was fulfilled when disunity turned into unity by the work of the Spirit who raised up a people. That's the plan fulfilled. The promise fulfilled, this is the real fun one. Genesis 12, 15, and 17. Anyone want to take a shot at what's going on there? Abraham and the nations. What's the promise to God in those passages of Scripture? And then we get to Revelation. John, in the vision he received on the island of Patmos, said, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the fulfillment of the Genesis promise. Isn't that awesome? It's book-ended. It took thousands of years to get there, but it happened. This is about unity. Jesus models it for us in all the gospels. He just included everybody. Here's the thing to remember about unity. Acceptance does not equal agreement. Understanding does not equal agreement. I'm out there all week long filling up my head with ideas that are contrary to the gospel so I know how to preach the gospel to my neighborhood. I engage in non biblical conversations on critical race theory because if i don 't understand what my culture believes, how am I gonna con- how am I going to come to it with a biblical understanding of unity because it 's all the same stuff, multiple languages, multiple socioeconomic groups, boys and girls, men and women, sinners and saints, the gospels hold the key Jesus if we just follow what Jesus did and love people right where they 're at while we stand on our unchanging convictions that we already read about our belief system if i stand on that i can go anywhere because acceptance and understanding does not equal agreement doesn't mean i agree but it means that i'm going to love people and we're going to grow together unity requires us to empty ourselves for the good of others that's philippians chapter two eternal unity apart from christ is impossible there are forms of unity that we can have, but not biblical unity, not eternal unity without Jesus. We cannot seek justice apart from righteousness, nor can we pursue true diversity apart from unity. Diversity doesn't always lead to unity, biblical unity will always lead to diversity. Unity is not the same as uniformity. I want to share a few stories. We've got a few more pictures. These are my friends. They're all 30-something now. This was from 2005. We spent 10 years going to Puerto Penasco, Mexico, and Sonora, which is just, they call it Arizona's beach. It's just Tucson's beach. It's like five hours from. But we would go there and we'd build relationships with the same church over the course of 10 years. And I, there were kids that when they were babies, I held babies, that when they were 10 were kicking soccer balls around. It was family reunion for me. More than my family in Philadelphia, I saw my family in Puerto Penasco. And we were family. Some of us still are family, even though we haven't seen each other in way too long. But it used to be this us-to-them thing. Oh, let me just bring this drama from my context, and we'll go out to the desert, we'll just perform it, and we'll hopefully you'll respond to Jesus. Over the years, through building relationship, we realized that what would be more compelling than American kids going out into Mexican deserts and performing American dramas for Mexican kids would be getting the holiness together. Because how many languages do we count in? So there's dramas that you can do on the mission field, and they're all to music because language is a barrier, but they're to eight counts. And these dramas just pantomime the story of the gospel over 12 or 13 minutes. There's like a half a dozen or more of these dramas. But I was starting to talk with my friends, because once we knew each other, we didn't just see each other that week in Mexico. We talked all year long, and we thought, hey, you know what? Counting in English and Spanish is the same. And so we started, kids having, started having kids train these dramas in the States, and having the kids train the same drama in Puerto Penasco, because everyone counts to eight the same. So we had two teams of seven. And when we got down there, this is one of my favorite moments in all time of ministry. We got together because everyone counts to eight in the same language. We took three kids from Eastside Foursquare, and we took four kids from Penasco Christian Fellowship, and we took three kids from Penasco Christian Fellowship, and four kids from Eastside Foursquare, and put them in two different groups. These kids had never talked to each other, could not speak in the same language. We hit go on the tape, and the dramas were going off. Three Hispanic kids. Four white kids four Hispanic kids, three white kids on opposite sides of the church and I just stood back and I watched these things happen succinctly and succinctly. That went to the streets and it was a whole different ballgame because everyone's like, excuse me? What kind of unity is that? It changed everything because we found a common language and a common purpose in Jesus and no one was the giver and no one was the recipient. We were just together unity in the body of Christ. Next picture. I love this picture because to date no one has yet figured out exactly which of those men had been experiencing homelessness for the better part of a decade and which of those men owned businesses netting more than $100,000 a year. Because what's our greatest common denominator isn't our portfolio. It's not our record. It's Jesus and his blood. So that group of guys, there's like 80 other guys that would be a part of experiences like this. We would go and live the men's shelter for five days at a time and build relationships. And one guy, I'll shorten the story, but one guy was feeling uncomfortable about some missional experiences we were offering with the church. Not bad, uncomfortable, just like, I got to know more about this. We gave people an opportunity to give away their church shoes on a Sunday morning when there were seven inches of snow outside. Four hundred people gave their shoes away, and some gave their socks and walked to their shoes and walked to their cars in seven inches of snow. So my friend, who owned a business, got together. We weren't friends yet, but we got together for lunch. And he goes, "I've never, I've never dried, done my own dry cleaning, clean my own house, washed my own car, shine my own shoes. I paid people to do it, and that's good because it creates business." I'm like, "Bro, it does. That's good." He goes, it's not enough for me, though. i got to get my hands dirty. Do you know how I could get my hands in the mud and just grapple with this thing in my soul about how I think I'm better than people that are living on the streets? So, <laughs> said, careful what you ask for. I said, yes, yeah, so you can come stay with me at my favorite residence in downtown Seattle, the Union Gospel Mission on the fifth floor. We'll just stay there. We'll build relationships together. And at the end of that week... One of the guys in this picture, the guy, that, the, the guy that came and approached me isn't in that picture, but the other guy is. The guy experiencing homelessness for 20 years was in that picture. And my friend was in the room, and we were washing each other's feet. It's the only time we ever did this. We were washing each other's feet. And Robert got down. No, sorry, Dean got down and washed Robert's feet. Dean has, has owned a business and a good business for a long time. And here's Robert, who's been homeless for more than 20 years. And the room is deadpan silent except for Dean weeping, weeping, snot flying everywhere, (laughs) water dripping. It was, again, like that moment in Mexico. I'm telling you about my most sacred moments of unity ever. And we just stood there and we received that, what unity looked like. You know what Dean's conclusion was at the end? He goes, I didn't know I needed a friend like Robert. And they were friends until Robert passed away. And we're going to see Robert again one day. Robert's this one. Across the top, it says fivefold fold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Under that, it has our five core values. Diverse unity, signs and wonders, neighborhood and city, sacred relationships, courageous belief. And under that, it has the South Ever priorities, which we talked about last week. What we're actively doing, what our leadership team is spending time doing right now, is mapping the ministries of this church to the fivefold ministries of the Big C Church. That's what we're working on. The hope in either taking that APES assessment. I know some people feel different about taking actual assessments, but I know that if we want to just hear from the Spirit about what the prophetic or the passions are, the fivefold passions of our lives are right now in this season. Talk to somebody else. Pray about it. But let me know, where do, you, where do you feel like God is really calling you to step out in the season? I don't need you to take a, an APES test. I don't need you to do that. If you want to, some people find it helpful. But we've got to know what our passions are. And our passions help us align with these things. And help us to know how to function, not just as a group of attenders, but a group of participators who are the body of Jesus. Amen? Amen? So I'll send this to you in digital format, but it's, it's nothing on this is new by now. You've heard all of this, but we're just aligning it to what the gospel says we're supposed to align it to. Amen? Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time.